Okay, so if that doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. Um, it is something that has a, has a profound impact on your life. We weren't meant to walk this path alone. We weren't at all. That it was never suggested that that's how we do this, that we tough it out on our own. Um, God in the Bible over and over and over again talks about us coming together and loving each other and that out of that, as we learn to do that and practice that together, out of that comes this tremendous impact on the world around us. He said, they're going to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for each other. And this is a great place to establish that love. It happens here, but it is just magnified in home groups. And I would strongly encourage you to get involved in one. All right, get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. Just go ahead and put your hand up. And our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles and you currently do not have a Bible of your own, just go ahead and keep the one that you receive and take it with you. Um, you will discover with us that there is unbelievable value in that book, in what God has given us in the Bible. All right, today we're going to look at one of my favorite pictures from what I see in the life of Jesus Christ. Great crowds of people were intrigued by Jesus. Some were just curious some already had their eyes open to who Jesus was and they were there hanging on every word that he spoke. And we're going to see Jesus now getting into a boat as the crowd grew along the shoreline of the lake. And let me be honest here. I would like to preach to you from a boat on a lake shore. I think that would be awesome. It would make me really happy to do that. But I'm going to work with what I have here. I am sincerely, truly honored to be able to stand up here and open up with you what God has shared with us through his word, through the Bible, and so we're going to do that again this morning. Last week we started a new series of messages that will take us through Jesus teaching about the kingdom, especially what's found in the book of Matthew. We shared a new vision last week that God has given us for Chapel Hill Church. God is directing us as a church to move this generation from culture to kingdom. This is an action-oriented vision that leads us to, first of all, grow in our understanding of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? We started answering that question last Sunday. We'll keep building that picture through the fall. The vision, this vision calls us to confront the impact that the culture that we live in has on us as individuals and as a church and as ambassadors for this kingdom in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools and around the world. The vision calls us to move this generation along the path that God lays out for us and that means that we have to pay attention to who we are as a church, to who we are as individuals in this church and to the people that we interact with in our world. This is for all of us. And this morning we'll carry on in our look at the picture that Jesus painted for us of the kingdom. The kingdom is much more than a definition of the word kingdom. Jesus gave us a picture of that kingdom, and so we're going to see this picture unfold together today and in the days ahead. So here's what we know so far. 
We know that based on what we looked at last week, the kingdom is a treasure of infinite worth. Our best response to that treasure is to sell everything that we have, to surrender everything and get that treasure. Whatever it is, it's worth it. And I'm praying that our view of the value of the kingdom grows to an epic scale. The kingdom is a priceless treasure. It has limitless value to us. So I want you to identify in your mind something in your life that is very valuable to you. What is very valuable to you? Way up there in its value. Whatever that is, that's your point of reference now. That is your starting point. We're going to go up from there. So forget about anything that's of lesser value than whatever it is that you're thinking of. That valuable thing, person, place, whatever, is your starting point of reference. The value of God's kingdom will soon surpass whatever that is and rise so far above it that you'll hardly be able to look back and see what that was. It won't lose its value. It'll just pale in comparison to the treasure that God has revealed to us. Nothing can compare to this, to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So turn now to Matthew chapter 13. This is where Jesus started his talk with his followers on the shore from the boat. Let's always remember that this was Jesus, the Son of God, one with the Father, speaking as the perfect representation of God in the flesh. There is so much weight in whatever he says. And on this occasion, Jesus spoke using a parable. And a parable is a story or a statement that compares one thing to another in likeness. And in this case, Jesus compares the kingdom to this. This is Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 23. This is what Jesus says there on the shore. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Go to verse 18 now. Jesus is now addressing his disciples with an, ex, an explanation of the parable that he used. He says to them, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. 
And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And uh, church, we, we won't just ignore that gap between verses 9 and 18. That's part of this series. We'll look at Jesus' explanation for why he used parables with the crowd. That's significant. But today, we're going to focus on this parable about the sower and the seeds. And as you can see, there are four distinct scenarios in this parable that Jesus uses to communicate truth. Let's look at them paired up with their explanations. So look at verse 4, where it says, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Okay, so let's pause and dig into this concept that's introduced here. The concept of the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. This parable is about people hearing the word of the kingdom and what happens to people in different situations, different scenarios, when they hear that word. And the Greek word used here for word is that awesome word logos. Logos. This word has tremendous significance in the Bible. It has tremendous significance to our faith. The word here is a bit of doctrine that speaks to the salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking of the truth that he's come to reveal to them. But there's something fascinating in this as well. The Bible teaches us that the word is alive. Jesus spoke of the word as the core to our faith. If we believe this word, he says, we are saved into eternal life. Jesus said that this word is spirit and life. He said that we don't just live by food and drink, we find life in his word. Jesus made promises for those who abide in his word. And then there's this, John wrote in John 1.1 that the word was in the beginning and the word was with God and the word was God. Later in verse 14, John wrote that the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us for a while. Obviously, Jesus is the word. Jesus is referred to as logos. His word and his very being are one. Jesus is the word, the logos. So the word of the kingdom and the person of Jesus are all wrapped up into one package. There's instruction there concerning doctrine, concerning what we believe, but there's also a person to connect all this to. The word of the kingdom is Jesus, and he spoke the words of the kingdom constantly with his voice, his actions, his very presence. We've been called to follow the teaching and the person of Jesus Christ, the word, the logos. And for the first and only time in history, truth 
was personified. We don't have to and we shouldn't separate the message from the messenger. Not with Jesus. Jesus said that the seed sown on the path was doomed. The path was a traveling route. It was packed down and hard. That's the kind of path he was talking about. And you got to remember that Excuse me, the people that Jesus was talking with here on the beach, they could easily picture this. They, they were probably sitting within eyesight of a farmer's field where they, they just knew this. This was so familiar to them. Now he said the seed couldn't penetrate the soil and safely germinate on the road to production on the path. It couldn't do it. So it was stolen by birds and eaten. He explained that this represents those who hear the word of the kingdom but don't understand what they hear. They lose the truth that was spoken to them. And note that the evil one is involved in this, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. And I'm grateful that Jesus acknowledged this. He's aware that sometimes the soil just isn't ready for the word. People will hear it, but not understand it. We'll talk another time about the understanding piece of this. Not everyone is going to see this picture Okay, so look at verses 5 and 6. He said, Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Now drop down to verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this soil that he was talking about was sitting on rock. The soil was very shallow. There was very little of that soil. And then there was rock. And so when the seedling was supposed to be extending roots down into the soil, it couldn't. Instead, the plant's energy went into upward growth prematurely. In that state, the plant couldn't handle the conditions that it would face It withered in the sun and died. Jesus' explanation of this was profound, and I've seen this kind of response and experience many, many times. The beauty of truth is readily and joyfully received, but too often the whole picture of this saving message isn't given, it isn't understood. The soil in some people's lives just isn't ready to face the challenges that come with being a follower of Jesus in the enemy's kingdom. People see what they might have to surrender or give up or suffer and they can't. The enemy takes shots at their lives and they back away from the truth that they saw, but they didn't see it in its entirety. And I pray that we discover together how to extend hope and truth to the people around us without giving them this false hope that everything is sunshine and roses for followers of Jesus. I don't want to see people in this position. I don't want us to put people in this position. Now look at verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And down to verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now how relevant and timeless is Jesus' message? There are many, many people who hear the truth, receive it, and then 
on their journey, this is the opposition they face. These are the obstacles that they cannot seem to overcome. The cares of this world, which which Jesus has spoken of already in Matthew chapter 6, and the deceitfulness of riches. Two weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 6.33, where Jesus promised that we don't need to worry about providing for ourselves and making that our pursuit. He gave us the pursuit of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He said that we're to pursue this first. It's our priority. And he gave us the value of God's kingdom and God's righteousness. But the cares of this world are powerful. They pull on us with brute strength. Add to that the way we're lured into the deceitfulness of riches and we have a major battle on our hands. And note that Jesus directs us to something else when he states the result of people being led astray by these things. Jesus says that this seed, the word of the kingdom, ends up being unfruitful. That's significant. We won't ignore that. We'll get there in just a minute. But Jesus is obviously lamenting the impact these things have on the fruitfulness of the word of the kingdom. Finally, look at verse 8. He says, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And now down to verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Okay, there is so much here. This is a scenario where someone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it. And that's my hope for all of us. That person bears fruit. Jesus pointed to the goal of the word of the kingdom sinking deeply and securely into the the soil of someone's life. And that word produces fruit. It creates a harvest, a yield. And I think that creates confusion for us. What does he mean by fruit? What kind of performance is Jesus expecting of us? What is this fruit that I'm supposed to produce Very often this fruitfulness is taken as the expectation that will lead others to Jesus and the word of the kingdom. And I believe that this is a significant part of what's being communicated here. There definitely is some sort of expectation. And for some of us, I know our minds instantly go to works. What are we supposed to do? How are we expected to perform? This is talking about our behavior, isn't it? So I have news for you obligation-driven, religious works-motivated people. It does mean works. That is the most literal translation of this fruit that Jesus mentions. Deeds. Works. Drat. Our lives are to show our knowledge of the word of the kingdom by our conduct. Okay, so why doesn't that sit well with me? I know that God isn't judging me by my behavior. I know that I can't work my way to heaven. So why does he say works fruit? Why does it seem like the goal of someone hearing and understanding the word of the kingdom is that they will do good works? 
Okay, it's big picture time. Fruit makes my brain travel to the book of Galatians. Did you go there too? Specifically, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Same word here for fruit. Same concept. Are we expected to be people that are loving, joyful, at peace, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled? Of course we are. Can we do these things on our own? Yeah, actually, I believe we can. Anyone can be these things, right? But Paul didn't write about our fruit. He wrote about the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit that God's Spirit living in us produces in us. These things become evident because God dwells in us by his Spirit. We are the branches attached to the vine that produce this fruit because the Spirit is flowing through us. And as I've sat in Matthew chapter 13 for a while, this is what I see. I see the same principle behind Jesus' words that upon hearing and understanding the word of the kingdom, we take on the power and presence of the kingdom in our lives. And just as the spirit produces fruit in us, so the kingdom produces fruit in us. And I'll keep coming back to this. I think it's critical that we understand this. The kingdom is not just a Christian word or term. It's not just a doctrinal statement or idea. The kingdom is not just a distant reality. That kingdom that we anticipate coming to earth one day, the kingdom is alive and at work in us. Jesus even taught us to pray that this kingdom comes here on earth just as it is in heaven. And I think he was talking about the kingdom coming now and when it comes with Jesus' return. When Jesus talked about the word of the kingdom producing a yield, it doesn't make sense to me that he would have been referring only to the future return of Jesus. It's the spirit who brings truth to life for us. We have that spirit as followers of Jesus Christ. That spirit produces fruit in our lives. That spirit brings us true understanding of the word of the kingdom. That spirit brings that word to life in us and produces that yield in us. The kingdom produces fruit in us. And here's a great encouragement to me. Jesus talks about the yield being varied in measurement. And he doesn't add a comparative or judgmental tone to this. The yield varies Sometimes 100-fold, sometimes 60-fold, sometimes 30-fold. But he doesn't tell us that he loves the 100-fold people more than he loves the 30-fold people. Jesus just mentions that sometimes it's a bigger yield than other times. So I had to put that in context for myself. 
And one of the ways that it happened for me was by remembering the time that we spent in Senegal as missionaries there. Um, We worked for many, many years just to see one life at a time come to follow Jesus and to watch them pay the price for that decision in huge, deep, impactful ways. It was slow. Our teammates, the Ketchums, were in Senegal for over 20 years and invested all that time to get to the point where one man, a leader of a little village in northwestern Senegal, gave his life to Jesus and started following the word of God. Now, at the same time, Iris Ketchum's father, her parents were working as missionaries in the Congo. And her father was an evangelist. And he would put on these evangelistic crusades and he would fill big soccer stadiums full of people. And he would preach the gospel and hundreds of people at a time would come to Christ. So is God judging Iris against her father? Of course not. Sometimes the yield is great. Sometimes the yield is less. But God brought the yield. God's kingdom brought the yield. Now then yesterday I was I was brought into it was brought into the light for me again. I took my two oldest sons to the No Longer Music trip report. Um, They gathered a bunch of people together at Wooddale Church to talk about what God had done over the summer as they toured and brought the gospel to the world. They had been on three tours, and the differences between the tours was obvious. One tour was really hard. Tough circumstances. Weather, locations, travel, everything. At specific concerts, the difference was obvious. At some, the word sunk into fertile soil, but even in the best settings, the word was not understood or received by everyone. In fact, it was the minority that received and understood. For many who received the word, that word was stolen by the enemy, sometimes right away. Sometimes through tribulation or persecution, sometimes later through the dominance of the cares of this world or by the deceitfulness of money. So did the No Longer Music team do their job well in some settings and poorly in others? Was it their fault that it rained all the time on their first tour? Did they drop the ball in some places? Or did they sow the seed of the word of the kingdom and trust the kingdom and the spirit to bring the harvest? Is God pleased with the fact that they willingly and boldly scattered the seed of the word of the kingdom? Is God pleased with you when you act and speak in such a way that the coworker that shares hours of time with you every day is getting a glimpse of the kingdom? God is pleased. And he fights the battle against the enemy who's trying to steal that seed. And he knows that sometimes the yield is small and sometimes the yield is big. His word goes out and he is pleased. Whatever the outcome God is calling us, church, into this parable, we sow. He determines the yield. The kingdom produces results. The spirit drives the whole thing.
All right, to wrap things up, let's take a step back and see what the picture looks like so far. Remember that we're watching a picture develop in our quest to see the kingdom more clearly, and that's completely relevant to this parable. The yield comes with understanding the word of the kingdom, with understanding the kingdom. Last week we started by acknowledging the value of this kingdom. It is priceless. It is our highest valued possession. It's so valuable and so precious to us that we'd sell everything we have to acquire it. That's motivation. That's a good reason to see this kingdom clearly because of its value. Now today we see that the word of this kingdom is alive and powerful and there is an expected result created by this kingdom. There is a yield, there is fruit. And already we know what we can do. We must understand this kingdom. We must ensure that we're providing as fertile a soil as possible for the seed that is the word of the kingdom. How? Keep ourselves. We have to keep ourselves from being consumed by the cares of life and the deception of riches. We can set our pursuits, priorities, and values on the kingdom. And you know what else we can do in light of what we've already seen of the kingdom? We can pray, church. We can pray. Pray that God opens our eyes. Pray that he connects the kingdom to your life. Pray that God roots the word of the kingdom deeply in your spirit. Pray that the soil of your life becomes deeply and and authentically fertile for that seed. Pray for protection. Pray that God frees you from the cares of the world and the deception of the riches. Pray for yield. Pray that through you the kingdom produces fruit, a yield of 160 or 30 times. Just pray. Invite God to plant, grow, and multiply his kingdom in and through you. Is there anything in your life that you're praying for daily? If not, make this it. Do you have a a direction that you want your spiritual growth to go? If not, hey, make this it. And if this is, is not part of your current prayers and plans, then please add this. Bring this to God. It's what God wants to do in you. It's what God wants to do through you. His kingdom come in your life, in my life, in our life. So church, seek first the kingdom of God. And may he add everything that we need as we do. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well. And as they come to help us close this service with some worship time again, let's pray. Father, I ask for my own sake and on behalf of every person in this church that you would open our eyes to see your kingdom. That you would show us what this kingdom is 
I ask that you would lead each one of us to view our lives as soil for the word of the kingdom and to do everything that's necessary to provide a good place for that soil to germinate and grow and produce. I ask, Father, on all of our behalfs, that you would, your kingdom would produce yield, would produce fruit in our lives. That we would surrender ourselves to this kingdom as we seek this kingdom first. And that in that pursuit, you would take that seeking and turn it into the production that you desire to happen in our lives that the fruit of the kingdom would be produced in and through us, that the fruit of your spirit would be produced in and through us, that you would use us for your kingdom and for your glory. And I ask once again that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.